Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I feel like I've been away forever. I only missed one Sunday, uh, but it does seem like a long time for me. My summer tour of traveling and preaching is over, so I'm happy to settle back into a routine of preaching here at home. 1 Kings chapter 17 is where we are this morning, starting a new message series entitled Firefall. Going to pick up stories of Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings for several weeks and, uh, and apply those to our lives. Uh, God, God bless you. We're going to try to keep it a major secret, but it becomes too difficult to do that. So let me just say, uh, we're going to be collecting a love offering for Warren and Margie Weeks the next two weeks. It's a special dollar club. So you'll see the bucket in the hallway here and also in the cafe today and next week. So many of you are asking what you can do, and at this point, uh, financial help is probably the best way for us to help them. So if you feel led to give and want to give, then uh, you'll have the opportunity today. Anything in the gray bucket in the hallway goes directly to the weeks. Uh, and also you can give online. If you go online, uh, select Dollar Club for your offering. And again, Dollar Club for the next two weeks goes straight to Warren and Margie Week. So that, that's just our effort to try and take good care of, of our brother Warren uh, during, during this time of re recovery. Uh, we miss him. Uh, we've worked on the air. When we say we, I don't mean me. <laughs> we've had great guys working really hard this week, and they fixed that air in the next center. It seems to be out again. I pray that it's going uh, before the next hour. We've got a urinal out in the men's room, so guys, y'all going to have to go at home uh, until <laughs> Warren gets out of his brace. Uh, no. Uh, but uh, anyway, God bless him. He does a lot for us. Uh, the the fix-it kind of stuff that, that we, we speak of is the smallest part of what he does, and yet that's the stuff he does that we don't even know he does until he's not here and then it's all broke. Uh, so anyway, First Kings chapter 17. Let's talk about Elijah. Let's talk about Elijah. Uh, you'll see in the passage today, we're not really starting in the middle of the story. It just seems like it because Elijah comes out of nowhere at a time when a man like Elijah was needed. I, I really think of myself as a positive, optimistic kind of guy, but I'll just say I, I'm not real positive and optimistic about our nation, about our country right now. I don't feel good about the direction that the whole world is, is, is headed, and, and I'll just say that. Uh, I'm concerned for the state of the union, the state of the nation. I'm concerned for the state of the church in our nation, so much of this looks bad to me. And in the United States as believers, we've been really, really blessed to have really 200 years of freedom and actual ease. It's been easy for us to serve the Lord in the place where we are because we are in a soft and easy place. If it were to get a little bit harder, I wonder how we would even respond. Throughout Christian history, it's not been easy to be a believer. When Paul speaks of being a disciple, he talks about knowing Jesus best in the fellowship of his suffering. So just let that sink in. Uh, the church, in all years, in all places prior to us, they have known Jesus sweetly in the fellowship of his suffering. So if we indeed have to endure some harder times, can we just all recognize we wouldn't be the first believers to have to go through hard times? And for that matter, we don't know anything about hard times. Can we just say that? Elijah knows about hard times. Now, when Elijah comes on the scene, you got to understand this. They have had something like 19, I'd say ineffective. We have ineffective leaders, but in Elijah's day, they were actually evil and wicked men, wicked leaders. I mean, you have 
really nothing to compare the, the kings of, of ancient Israel to any politician that, that you've ever known or, or seen. These are wicked, wicked, evil men. These are the kind of guys who would lead the whole nation into uh, idol worship. These are the kind of men who at one point in the history, they were literally sacrificing children to false idols. Uh, these are the kinds of men who would lead the whole nation in, in worship that would involve having sex with prostitutes in the temple. So you just have to understand, as bad as things may seem to you, we haven't seen anything as it were in the days of Elijah. So we've had 200 years of evil, wicked leadership, 200 years of the people of God suffering under all of this, and, and understand that there comes a point where a man named Ahab takes the throne, and his wife is named Jezebel. For all the other evil kings, we never even find out about the wife, but Jezebel gets named because she is a particularly powerful and a particularly wicked woman. Now, for all of the wickedness of all the kings that have come before, the scripture says that Ahab was more evil than any of them. Now, we're comparing him to some really rough dudes, and it says that Ahab was worse than any of the ones that, they, that he came after. And so we reach a point where God just says, enough. God says, enough. And when God has enough, God tends to do what God always does. He raises up somebody. He raises up somebody, and in this case, he raises up Elijah. And Elijah comes out of nowhere. When I say nowhere, we just don't know where he comes from. He just shows up, and he's already angry. He's already full of the Spirit. He's already got a message, and he is already preaching when we meet him. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, uh, let's take a look at Elijah. Read with me. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead. Now, I, I, when I say comes out of nowhere, y'all, we don't know where Tishbe was. It, it's not on any map. You can put it in your GPS. You won't go anywhere. Uh, we have no idea. So when I say he comes from nowhere, we mean it. We don't know where this man comes from. Elijah was from Tishba in Gilead. He told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, these are the first words this man speaks in the scripture, y'all, first words. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while... The brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please give me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. 
But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Always enough. Amazing? Always enough. As I say, you and I have never really seen tough times I mean, we think we have. I know you think you have. Like that whole week, you know, where you were, you know, out of your hair product or whatever, and you felt like it was a really, really bad time. I mean, this is kind of where we are in terms of suffering. You know, last Sunday I was coming back from having preached in Atlanta, Georgia, and I I was, you know, needing to eat something on the interstate, and I was frustrated that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. You know, like, I'm all about them being closed on Sunday till I'm hungry on Sunday, and, and I... I need to eat. But understand, tough times call for tough faith. Tough times call for tough faith. You have a man like Elijah for times like the days of Elijah because I'm telling you, soft faith wasn't going to make it in these days. And you and I, we always sort of hesitate. We really don't really want to ever have to follow God into any place that might be hard. And for that reason, we continue to live in soft places, and that's exactly why our faith is soft. You and I probably would struggle going through a difficult time because honestly, we just have never worked our faith muscles that way. But Elijah is a tough man with tough faith in tough times, and I want us to talk about what that looks like, all right? As I say, he comes out of nowhere, Tishbe. I mean, I know, I'm in Woodburn, so what am I, what do I got to say about living in, in, in a nowhere place? But, uh, but, but Tishba is apparently the place where he comes from. We don't know anything about him, don't know anything about his training. We don't know anything about how he becomes the man that he is. All we know is he shows up, in, it shows up right in front of Ahab with this weather forecast from the Lord. I mean, this is it. His first sermon is simple. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain until I say. Now, it's interesting. Ahab is known for leading the people to worship the God Baal. And Baal is a God of fertility, but more importantly, Baal is the rainmaker. Baal is the God who brings rain, right? Baal is the God that they pray to in order to make sure the rain comes to uh, you know, water the crops. And so this is sort of tailor-made to teach Ahab not only who, who, who has more power than Ahab, but to teach Ahab that his God ain't no God. Baal has no power. Baal can't do anything. Pray to him all you want. And so this is Elijah's message. It simply doesn't even, you know, elaborate on the finer points of it. He just says, as surely as the Lord God that I serve, surely as he lives, there will be not a drop of rain in this whole country, not a drop of rain until I say. Now that I say part, did God tell Elijah to say until I say? Because that sounds like all of a sudden Elijah's making about himself. I'll say. What's that do? Honestly, what I think that does is it makes sure that Ahab doesn't kill him on the spot. I mean, you know, 
Because Ahab could just kill him on the spot. But now he can't, you know, because what if? And so Elijah sort of is, is doing exactly what God tells him to do. And, 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 and so God continues to give Elijah instructions. Verse 2, the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. Now, I love this little detail. I, I love this. First off, God is going to hide Elijah for some season. We don't know exactly how long, but God's going to hide him. And, and he names two different streams, two different bodies of water, Kirith Brook and Jordan River, which means they're still flowing. Now, it's going to get dry. It's going to get dry everywhere. But for now, God has a plan, and God's going to provide and protect the prophet Elijah. Tells him exactly where to go, exactly how it's going to operate. Now, how's he going to operate? He's going to have water, all the water he can possibly drink. Drink out of the brook. And he's also going to eat. Every meal is catered. Every meal is delivered. You've heard of Uber Eats, right? Every single meal is delivered. And who brings him food? The ravens, the birds. The birds feed him. They bring in him bread. And they're bringing him meat. Now, it don't say a word about the quality. Because as you know, ravens are scavenger birds, and so that meat, it could be, that could be roadkill, you know? But Elijah's not going to starve. That's the point. He will be fed, and he will be watered. God's going to take care of him and understand, we really haven't seen hard times yet. It's not even hard yet. But yet God tells Elijah exactly where to go and exactly where he's going to spend the next season of his life because God's going to take care of him there. There. That, that, that's the plan. Now, I just want you to understand a little principle of your own spiritual life. The time to be listening to God is before the drought comes. God always prepares you where you are for what comes next. And if you're not listening to God now, you're not going to be ready for what comes next. That's why you're continually sort of knocked off your feet by everything that happens because God speaks to you and God always has a plan to protect and provide for you and prepare you, but you have to be listening to him. Elijah listens to God and Elijah obeys. When God said, this is where you go and this is what you do, that's where Elijah goes and that's what he does. You and I tend to be a little more hard-headed because honestly, the drought hasn't come yet. I mean, for most of us, we live like we don't need God because honestly, we don't feel like we do. Our lives are good. Our lives are easy. Easy. I mean, yeah, I know the virus is bringing, you know, breathing down our necks and there could be another shutdown. And if there's a shutdown, you know what happens? You just stay home and watch Netflix. That ain't suffering, you all. That's not suffering. You don't know what suffering is. But I'm telling you, God knows exactly where you are, and God knows exactly what time it is, and God knows exactly what's coming next, and God will always prepare you. The problem is we don't always listen. So Elijah listens to God even before the drought comes. So Elijah knows exactly where God wants him to be, and Elijah may not understand all of what's about to happen, because we never really understand all that's about to happen, but God will give us enough of his words so that we know exactly what we need to do. Does that make sense? 
So the time to be listening to God is before, before the drought comes. So that's what Elijah does, and that's what happened. Verse five, Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat every morning and every evening, two meals a day, and he drank from the brook. That's a pretty good life, y'all. I mean, I like people, but me and the birds could get along just fine. I mean, you know, out there by yourself in nature, all the food you want, a water, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. I like that. Verse 7, but after a while, the brook dried up. I wonder what Elijah was thinking while the brook was drying up. I bet he started praying. I mean, you know, like, this has been a really good setup. And you know, brooks don't dry up quickly. It takes a while. But Elijah just seems to notice that this source for him, this, this source of water, is starting to get a little shallow. It's starting to get a little thin. It's starting to become a little bit unreliable. And at that point, you got to start wondering, you know, God, have you forgotten me? Have you ever been camp beside a dwindling brook. You ever been in a situation where, where, you know, it's been good for a long, long time, but all of a sudden the brook's drying up? I mean, God's been good to you. God's been taking care of you, but, but you begin to experience a moment where you're not so sure anymore. I mean, Elijah knows that God is good and knows that God takes care of him, but at this point he doesn't know exactly why the brook is drying up. So what happens? I, I, I love it. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. I love that. I love that because I live in the country and I know country women. And I know how they cook. Elijah's been eating the same old sandwich for breakfast and supper every day for a long time. And now God's got a new plan for taking care of him. Now understand, let me put this in here. God is not obligated to provide for you today the same way he provided for you yesterday. You need to know that. So, you know, that job that you had for years and all of a sudden that job dries up. And you begin to wonder, God, are, are you paying attention? God, do you love me? God, are you with me? God, are you going to take care of me? Of course God's going to take care of you. But God isn't obligated to provide for you today the same way he provided for you yesterday. He is a God of unlimited possibility and power. He can provide for you any way that he likes. And because he is free, he's probably just going to continue to change it up on you. Primarily so that you will remember who's taking care of you. So God says, I want you to go to this particular village. I have commanded a good old country woman to take care of you. Man, Elijah's a preacher. He's done a potluck or two in his life. He knows exactly what he's walking into, and you know he's excited. Country woman. Y'all know country women? If I was Elijah, I'd go, I'd go up, I'd ring her doorbell, and I would just be, I would be praying to God that Barbara White answers the door. <laughs> Have y'all had Barbara White's meatloaf? Now, I'll be honest with you. Meatloaf, if somebody's offering you their meatloaf, you better pray. Because everybody don't have the same definition of meatloaf. You don't know what's in meatloaf. <laughs> and people have secret recipes from their, you know, whatever. Like if somebody offers you meatloaf, but if Barbara White offers you meatloaf, you take it. 
Barbara White's meatloaf is good, man. I would be, I would be knocking on that door praying for Barbara White or Nancy McRoy. <laughs> Y'all know Nancy McRoy? Like Nancy is one of those country women that cooks every Sunday lunch. L.P. McRoy is like in his 90s. He will live forever because the man thinks he already died and went to heaven. <laughs> Nancy cooks for L.P. all the time. Nancy McRoy, can I just say this? I don't have the recipe, y'all, but get it from Nancy. Nancy has a salad, salad, and the main ingredient, Milky Way candy bars. True story. I can get along with people for whom a Milky Way candy bar is like a key ingredient in a salad. She sits it right there on the counter by the vegetables, y'all. Milky Way is in the food pyramid at the McElroy house. I, I, I love that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh my. Margie Weeks macaroni and cheese. I would want to knock on the door and get Margie Weeks because Margie Weeks makes the best macaroni and cheese, y'all. It is the best. She uses regular elbow macaroni. She uses evaporated milk and at least two kinds of cheese, Margie says, and one of them has to be sharp. Oh, man, it's good. Nicole Buckman makes really good macaroni and cheese, y'all. She uses smoked Gouda. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, but it is good. She uses smoked Gouda and pepper jack. Oh, y'all. Yeah, I would want to knock on that door and have Nicole Buckman. Nicole Buckman makes something she calls an ooey-gooey butter cake. It's awesome. I would want to knock on the door and have, actually, speaking of butter, I went to visit Travis Brown. Travis and Sherry Travis was the sickest man that I knew during COVID, and he's still recovering. God bless him. Keep him in praise. He's doing great. I went to visit Travis, and I knocked on the door. Y'all, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a country preacher. So I know the smell of brownies, and I walked in the door. And I could smell brownies, like the warm smell of brownies, you know. And I'm telling you, if I come to your house, I, I want to smell the warm smell of brownies. Because that often means what? They just made brownies. Probably for me. So I sat there visiting Travis the longest time, and nobody ever mentioned brownies. I'm thinking, apparently, apparently, you know, these aren't for me. Um, but then it... it got, you know, into the visit, and Sherry said, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry, I forgot, to, I forgot to say, would you like some brownies? I said, I would love, I would love a brownie. She said, do you want butter on it? I said, what? <laughs> she said, well, I know it sounds strange, but at our house, we always put butter on brownies. Like cornbread, y'all, like they butter brownies, like brownies already have like two sticks of butter in them. <laughs> so I said, sure, y'all, brownies with butter are amazing, amazing. Do it, do it. Thank you, Sherry, for introducing me to what heaven's going to taste like. That is so good. Man, Joy Bush, Gene Balance, these are the two best cooks in the country. They get it from their mama. I went to visit Joy and James Bush one day, and Joy, Joy didn't know it was coming. She did not know it was coming, but she was taking a homemade cherry cobbler out of the oven. Yeah, just, you know, on a Thursday afternoon. It's just, oh, amazing. James Bush was the luckiest man in the world. Joy and Jean cook like their mama. Oh, my goodness, Evelyn Ballant, did y'all ever have her cinnamon apples? They were made with red hots, like red hot candy. Um, when Evelyn made, when Jean makes them, when Joy makes them, they're amazing. When I made them, they just look like apples with acne. <laughs> it, it didn't work. I'm serious, y'all. Polka dyed it out. It didn't. 
So Elijah knocks on the door, right? Because he's expecting this country woman, you know, with biscuits and gravy and bacon, you, you know, and, and vegetables out of the garden. She's got a whole mess of squash, you know. I mean, have you ever gone to a country lady's house and she didn't have a mess of squash, you know, and a cellar full of canned green beans and beets and pickles and all of that? I mean, hot dog, Elijah says. The Lord's got a country woman to take care of me. So he knocks on the door, and who answers the door? The same woman I'd get, I'm sure. I mean, he, he knocks, like, did God forget to tell her? I mean, because when Elijah meets the lady, I mean, the scripture says, the Lord says, I have already instructed a widow to take care of you. I mean, the Lord makes it sound like he's got this all planned out. I've got a lady lined up to, to take care of you, and Elijah's expecting a lady to go and take care of him. And who does he meet? Saddest old lady he's ever met in his life. She doesn't seem to know that the company was coming for supper, but what was her menu for the night? She said, well, I really wasn't expecting company. Uh, I was going to collect some sticks, make a fire. I was going to cook the last, you know, handful of flour I have in the house and put that with the last, you know, drip of oil, and then I was going to, you know, Feed that to my son, and, you know, he and I are just going, you know, die in front of the game show network. Like, that's her plan. That's her whole plan. I was going to eat the last bit of what I had and die. Now, I said she's sad. Is she sad? Is she depressed? She just forget to go to the grocery? No. She knows exactly what she has, and it's scarce. This is all she has. She has not overlooked, you know, some, you know, corner of the pantry where there may be a mess of squash or a can of green beans. It's not that. She doesn't have anything, and she knows she doesn't have anything. She knows exactly what she has. She has done a complete inventory, and what she has is not enough. It's not enough to keep her alive. It's not going to be enough to keep her son alive. And she knows that. And so she's just about to use up the last of what she's got, and, it's, and she's going to die. And then Elijah shows up and says, what's for supper? Can you give me some water? Would you give me some bread? I mean, Elijah shows up, and then Elijah hears her story. And then what does he say? Verse 13. This is interesting. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do exactly what you've just said, only what? Make me some bread first. Is Elijah selfish? Elijah said, hey, you know, if there's not going to be enough, you make sure I get the first slice of that cornbread when it comes out of the oven. I mean, no, no. Don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left. What? She's already said, I got, I got just a handful left, and it's not nearly enough. And Elijah says, okay, go ahead. Make me a loaf, and then you use what's left. Elijah knows something she doesn't know. What happens? She does what Elijah said. She does it. Now, I don't know what this miracle would have looked like, but I love to imagine it. Like, every time she, you know, got it out of the canister, did she empty it? 
Because the scripture says there was always just, just always enough. Like just enough. So I don't, I don't think it fills up. I think, it, I think every time she took a scoop out, it was the last scoop. But somehow, every time she went back in, it came out. You know, It's just a really interesting miracle. Because she had to live in this perpetual state of emptiness. At the same time, she always had everything she needed. Interesting. I think you just need to understand what this woman learns a hard way. God always provides everything you need to do his will. Now, to do his will. See, you and I want all kinds of stuff, and we want God to provide all kinds of things for us, but it's not promised you're going to get everything you want to do everything you want. But God will always provide everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. God's going to provide, and God provides for her. God provides for Elijah. This is what it looks like. It looks like never, ever having enough. It also looks like always having just enough. You know, for today, for the next meal. Interesting. How would that apply to your life? It, it, it goes back to what I said about the woman having done a complete inventory of all she had, and she knew the scarcity of what she had. I think this is what you and I simply never really do. We're never willing to admit the scarcity of what we have. When Emma told us all to pray a moment ago, and I stood on the, I wasn't, I mean, she kind of dropped that prayer on us, and I wasn't really ready to pray necessarily, but, but when I closed my eyes to pray, the first thing that popped into my mind was, Lord, don't let me preach out of the scarcity of what I have. Let me preach out of the abundance of your power, the, the, the strength of your word. Don't let me preach out of the scarcity of what I have. You ever just stop and, and get really honest about the scarcity of what you have? I, I know that you're intelligent and you're used to, you know, sort of trusting yourself. I know, I know you got a good marriage and in so many ways you, you, you trust your spouse. You trust the, the solidness of the life that you've built. I know that so many of us, we, we work hard and, and we trust our ability to work hard and to go to work every day. And a lot of us have learned to trust that job, to trust that employer, to trust the factory, to trust the hospital, to trust the school. Whoever it is that writes our paycheck, we, we begin sort of trusting in, in all of the things that we've learned to accumulate, all of the things that we've learned that form this, this web of provision in our lives. Our, our, our hard work, our, our ingenuity, our, our, our families, our community, our jobs. And, and we sometimes put a really high estimate on all of that. We put a lot of trust in that. So much so that when we're teaching our kids about life and how to make decisions about life, we always teach them the importance of a dollar. You know, we want them to know what a dollar is worth, but we never bother to teach our children what faith is worth. See, the problem is, if you only trust in all these things that you see, if you only trust in what you have, you never really learn how to live out of the abundance of what God has. You're living this life of scarcity, but you don't even know it. You're living this life of near starvation, but you don't even know it because you don't understand what God has for you. You don't understand the way he wants to feed you. You don't understand how your soul might feast. 
You're just like this old lady living out there with nothing, you know, just always living on the edge of, of, of total disaster. But you don't understand the life God would have for you. Understand, you will only know the fullness of all God has when you recognize the emptiness of all you have. I say, man, we are soft people in a soft place, and we like it that way. We like life to be easy, and so often the decisions we make just have to do with, you know, how is it that I can keep myself comfortable? How can I continue to maintain the life that I love without ever having to take any risk? And I'm telling you, that's not the life of faith, And if you're going to follow the Lord, it's not going to be an easy way. And it's not going to be a predictable way. The way he provided for you yesterday may not be the way he provides for you today. Will you follow him today when you don't know? When he tells you that the ravens are going to feed you, will you trust that? When he says that this lady right here, not the one over here with the garden full of squash, but this lady over here that ain't got nothing but a handful of flour, and God says, you're going to eat with her for a long time. Would you trust that? Some of us just really don't trust the Lord, do we? All the choices in your life have just been, you know, from comfort to comfort, upward mobility, Nice job, do nice job, but have you ever really stopped to wonder what God intends for you? I know your life is good, it's wonderful. All of our lives are, I mean, I've seen your cars in the parking lot. Yeah, we're all doing good. But at the same time, we're making a choice. And I'm afraid the choice we make is to live out of the scarcity of all we have. Because it doesn't look like scarcity in the world's eyes. You know, I mean, we're comfortable well, we're comfortable, but from God's perspective, we are bankrupt. From God's perspective, we are empty. From God's perspective, we don't have anything at all. I mean, we got enough to make it through, you know, retirement. I mean, that's our goal, right? Just, you know, I, I want enough to live comfortably and then retire and, and have enough. But see, you got enough for retirement, but you don't understand. You're going to live forever. It's eternity you have to think about. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Because everything you lay up on earth, it's, it's, it's worthless. It's temporary. It doesn't last. Only the things of eternity last. And so for that reason, I'm saying we live out of scarcity. We live this earthly, you know, worldly existence, not understanding that God would have us live out of the abundance of all that he has. Oh my goodness, if you would listen for his voice, if you would follow his voice, if you would obey him, you would discover an abundance of life, an abundance of provision. You would have the kind of day-to-day existence that you've never even imagined. The thing is, uh, yours and mine is a life of scarcity and we don't even know it. We think we can do it. We think we don't need the Lord. Say, so Pastor Tim, I'm not sure I think that at all. I understand the truth of what you're saying, but I don't think I do that. Well, let me just ask you, how much do you pray? How much do you pray? Because that's a pretty good gauge of the degree to which you feel dependent upon the Lord. 
If the life you live doesn't require you to keep going back to the Lord and, you know, and, and begging him, I mean, if, if you don't feel the need to return to God in prayer on a regular basis, and I, by regular basis, I don't mean like Easter and Christmas, like daily. If you don't feel like you need him enough to pray to him, then can I just tell you the truest thing I know how to tell you? I don't, I don't think you trust him. I think the life you live doesn't require that you trust him. And if you call yourself a believer, there's something profoundly wrong about a believer who lives a life that requires no prayer. You're supposed to live a life sort of on the edge, or at least on the edge enough where you know that if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. God doesn't provide, you'll be without. I mean, that, that, that's where we live our lives when you're going to follow the God who provides for you. Some of you right now are camped beside a dwindling brook. You, you can feel it. You know it's running out. I, I mean, the, the, the momentum, the love, the solidness of your marriage is dwindling. You can feel yourself losing it with your kids. You can feel yourself losing it at work. You, you can feel yourself sort of not being able to, to grasp it anymore. It's, your life is becoming uncertain. Your life is, is becoming thin. You're beginning to recognize the scarcity of what you've depended upon. Can I just suggest to you, that's not an altogether bad place to be. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, when you get to that place where you realize that, that, that you need something that you can't provide for yourself, that's when you turn to the Lord. That's when you turn to the Lord. I think sometimes God will let the brook dry up in your life so that you learn to turn to him, so that you understand that he's the source. He's your source. I just remind you, tough times call out tough faith. And it really could be that the life God has for you is, is somewhere this side of your comfort. Maybe you need to step out a little more in faith, trust him a little bit more, pray to him a whole lot more. Find out what he wants to make of your life. But pray with me. Lord God, we are soft people in a soft place. We sing songs of faith and we, we make it to church on Sunday to worship you, Lord. But our lives are not lives lived as true followers, Lord. We, we hardly pray. We rarely read our Bibles, Lord. We can't really say that we're listening to you. And, and since we don't listen, Lord, we don't know if we're obeying you or not, Lord. We just sort of do our thing and live our lives, God, would you help us to see that the, the scarcity, help us to see, Lord, the way in which we are living so far beneath the dignity of believers, Lord? Will you give us some glimpse, Lord, of the way you would provide for us if we would trust in you? God, we are proud people. Lord, we are those who are proud of what we have and proud of what we can do, but Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that we might learn what you have. Learn what you would do if you had control of our lives. Help us to surrender today, Lord. Today, 
and every day that we might know the abundant life that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.